Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Safer Road Technology. IIHS President David Harkey shares how the organization continuously updates road safety standards to better protect drivers and deter distractions. Plus, the U.S. could be facing another recession. Why South Carolina University economist Dr. Bob Hartwig anticipates the insurance industry will successfully weather that storm. But first, two bills in Illinois with concerning implications for the insurance industry have officially landed on Governor J.B. Pritzker's desk. The first is HB 219, which adds punitive damages to wrongful death cases, increasing litigation costs to companies and further deterring them from doing business in Illinois. As a result of increased costs, the legislation will also open up the current legal system that has been working for decades to stop fraud and abuse. The second bill, HB 2296, represents an attempt by consumer groups like Public Interest Research Group to address rate regulation in healthcare insurance rates. While this won't directly impact the property casualty insurance industry, it is a slippery slope for other rate regulation and rating factors prohibition ideas that were floated during the recent legislative session. NAMIC has sent a letter to the governor asking that he veto the bill. Governor has 60 days to respond to both bills. During NAMIC's management conference this week in Quebec City, Canada, economist Bob Hartwig led the event's power session focused on today's economic uncertainty and what it means for the insurance industry. The session provided a data-driven analysis of the past three-plus years of extraordinary economic volatility. Dr. Hartwig explored the next 12- to 24-month outlook, given the consensus view that the U.S. economy will enter a recession either late this year or early next year. Hartwig says the combination of recession, high interest rates, and persistent inflation will have a mixed effect on the insurance industry, but he feels confident NAMIC members will persevere because throughout history, they've made it through times much worse than these. You need only go back to the financial crisis a few years ago. The economy was much worse than it is today. You can go back to the 1980s and the 1970s uh, where we had inflation and unemployment much higher than they are today. We can go back to the Great Depression and many other instances uh, that we've seen throughout the history of most of the NAMIC membership. And what we have seen is that over time, this industry and the NAMIC members have persevered. And that will be true even today where many people are concerned about technology, the likes of ChatGPT, for instance. I have every confidence that NAMIC members will learn to adapt, to adopt, and to thrive in an environment where there are more technological opportunities available to them to advance growth to advance underwriting, uh, to advance the quality of the product that they offer to their clients uh, over the next several years and, in fact, next several decades. Dr. Hartwig will be back again with an update on the economy during NAMIC's 128th annual convention this September at National Harbor in Washington, D.C. To check out the agenda and reserve your spot for the annual event, head to our website at NAMIC.org. 
Also during management conference this week, NAMIC recognized the award in innovation overall category winner, Alpha Mutual Insurance Company. The organization created the Alpha Leadership Academy to continuously be in position to develop emerging leaders, enhance company culture, provide innovative solutions, and ultimately take better care of its customers. We'll have Executive Vice President Tommy Koshat and CEO Jimmy Parnell on an upcoming podcast to tell us about how Alpha Mutual transformed its organizational culture to build the next generation of leaders. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety works to reduce deaths, injuries, and property damages for motor vehicle crashes. They're known for the crash testing facility that is used to research new vehicle technologies, and it produces the year's top safety picks. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge and IIHS President David Harkey discuss how the organization continuously updates road standards to better protect drivers and deter distractions. Joining me today on the unscripted portion of the podcast is the president of the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, David Harkey. David has been on this show before, several years ago, but uh, unfortunately, we haven't made all the cars not crash into each other yet. And so David still has a big role to play. The Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, of course, uh, plays a vital role, not only in the insurance industry, but of course, with consumers directly and how they evaluate their purchasing decisions. Lots going on in terms of road safety, and a lot of it's not all that great uh, at the moment. Uh, And so, David, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be here. Great to be back and uh, have the ability to talk a little bit about where we are with regards to road safety in the country and, and vehicle safety specifically. Yeah, there's a there's a lot here. we, we sort of live in this conundrum of cars never been safer. Um, people probably wearing seat belts at you know maybe all time highs. I would guess I don't know airbags and all of the great things that your organization in the insurance industry has added to vehicles today. But boy, we sure see a lot of cars crashing into each other, and we see a lot of of loss of life and a lot of troubling backstories to what we see here. So let's start with a little bit about just the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety itself, your your, your reliance on scientific research. You have the testing facility. Uh, just talk a little bit about that and how, how it all works. Yeah. And so, you know, our, our mission is is pretty simple. We're all about how can we save lives on our roadways? How can we prevent harm on our roadways? Um, and you know our our testing, which now includes both uh, crashworthiness testing, how do we protect occupants in the vehicle when a crash does occur, as well as collision avoidance testing, how do we prevent the crash from occurring altogether? And regardless of what test uh, we're running at our vehicle research center, it all starts with real world crash data. You know, we go out and look at what's happening in real world crashes. How are these vehicles crashing? How are occupants being injured? Um, What technologies are out there that can prevent certain types of collisions? And so that's where it all starts. And uh, and back in the early 90s, it started with our first frontal crash test where we decided to do something that was different from what the government uh, was doing at the time. And it's still different from what the government does today, where they were running 
a vehicle into uh, the full front of the vehicle, into a wall. And when you look at real world crashes, well, very few times does the full front of a vehicle strike another vehicle or an object. And we we came up with what we called a an overlap test, where only about 40% of the vehicle uh, struck that. And so that launched us into uh, all of our testing. Um, and so that's important on the front end to look at those real world crashes, decide what kind of tests we're going to run. And then on the back end, you know, several years after we have been doing a test, we go back and look at that data. And we try to determine, did the tests that we ran result in the automotive industry making changes that would save lives and prevent harm? And what we find in the example that I just gave you is, yes, it did, that you're about 50% less likely to die if you're in a vehicle that rates good in our test, our moderate overlap tests, than you are in a vehicle that rates poor if you're in a head-on collision, for example. So it all starts with the crash data, it all ends with the crash data, and we kind of do that cycle with everything we do. Yeah, indeed, and, and note that many people have characterized the work of the Institute as you know one of the greatest sort of public health value adds of any organization anywhere in ter- terms of just the safety of people riding around in cars. Uh, I think it's been a great accomplishment, you know, 50 years ago, most people didn't buy a car based on how safe they are. Today, you know, you see it in all the advertising about how safe cars are and your rating system and consumers shop on it. And it really has changed behaviors in a lot of ways. And it's a real testament to the work uh, your organization and the insurance industry kind of work together to accomplish this goal. It's really it's really made a difference. But. We also see a, it's a it's an interesting reality on the roadways today. There's you know still lots of crashes, um, and they seem to be the severity. I saw a number earlier, just I think a week ago or so, that severity was up 35% this year compared to previous years. So this probably has more to do with the actual people behind the wheel, right, than the actual cars themselves. Yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate. You know, ve- vehicles are safer than they've ever been, and there's no doubt that that the work that we've done and the you know the support that we have from the insurance industry to do the work that we do has made a big difference in terms of improving vehicle safety. But you know, the the transportation, the road safety uh, network, the road, everything we do in terms of traveling, it's part of a system. You know, and that system's made up of that vehicle, but it's also made up of the roadway and the environment, and it's made up of the people uh, who operate those vehicles, who travel by foot or by bike. I mean, you know, there's all these pieces that you have to look at. And the big problems that we have on our roadways uh, today that result in those um, almost 43,000 lives being lost each year currently, it's impairment. It's speed and it's a lack of belt use. And mm-hmm. those problems have been with us now for for a while. And we've got to figure out how to address those behaviors. And we're doing some things in those areas. But you think about speeding accounts for almost a quarter uh, of our fatalities. Uh, impairment as a result of alcohol accounts for almost a third of our fatalities. Half of the passenger car fatalities involve those who are not wearing their seat belts. That's the challenge. And yeah. so we've got to continue to work on that. 
Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's it's hard from that, that that last statistic is one that kind of hard for me to believe because you know I'm I'm not that dissimilar in age from you. Uh, I grew up, you know, I was born in 1970, didn't wear a seatbelt right yep. until yep. as a kid, of course, and nobody else did either, right? That's um, right. And then I see, you know, my kids, they all wear seatbelts, right? And they always have their whole entire lives. And I still think that that's, it's such a, it's been such a change, but it's hard to believe that a third of the fatalities are still from people not wearing the simple seatbelt that works, Yeah. right? Uh, it's just hard to believe that that's still a phenomenon here. And I don't know at this point, you know, we've got, all, I mean, I don't, we've got Augury Law in the book about it, right? Um, so it's still something about people's individual choices here. Well, and that's one of the reasons last year we rolled out new, what we called seatbelt reminder ratings and trying to uh, improve or increase the uh, audible sounds uh, that are in yeah. a vehicle. The yeah. current government regulation is not strong enough. Uh, and that's true in a lot of areas, but but when it comes to seatbelt reminders, they're just not strong enough. They they don't result in a warning that is loud enough, long enough, and you know what we call annoying enough. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know to get you to buckle up. And so we we came out with a series of seatbelt reminder ratings for vehicles, and the first 15 vehicles that we tested. Uh, most of the vehicles got a poor rating from us. The last 15 vehicles that we tested just a couple months ago, um, 75% of them got a good rating. So the encouraging part there is, is this is simply a software change uh -huh. that the automakers can, can make. And we hope that that uh, improved seatbelt reminder will be part of the solution to help address this, this problem. Is backseat seatbelt usage a, a significant part of that? It is. And that, that's a really great question because, you know, to get a our good rating, our best rating, one of the things that we're requiring is a status notification and warning to the driver if there's a change in status in that rear seatbelt. So if you happen to have a child and you're driving down the road and they unbuckle their belt, you get a warning immediately as yeah. a driver. And so that's an important uh, part of that, that rating system that we have in place. So let, let's spin there just a minute. So you got the new seatbelt factor here you're talking about. I know you've done a lot of work here recently on headlights as well. Mm -hmm. uh, if you might just spend a minute talking about, you know, the, the headlight usage. And I know there's been some controversy around the brightness or how relatively bright they are, et cetera. So just talk through that with us just a minute. Yeah, you know, head, headlights are sometimes a forgotten safety technology. We don't mm -hmm. we don't think about it a lot. You know, it's just something that's on a vehicle, uh, and and we sometimes take it for granted. But, you know, we do about a quarter of our driving at night. Yet that's when half the fatalities occur. So it's it's a much riskier time to be on the road and to drive. And so we started rating headlights in 2016, um, and we were looking at at a couple things. One is is how how much visibility do you get as a driver? How far down the road can you see? And then we also wanted to make sure that there's not too much glare for the oncoming driver um, because that's a real problem. If you create you can create all the visibility in the world if you don't care about glare. Uh, for that 
vehicle that's traveling toward you. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to take care of both of those issues. And the encouraging part there is, is that the automakers have responded. And so there are a lot of uh, good rated headlights, which is our best rating uh, on vehicles today. And it's improved dramatically from where we were in 2016. And they've done that in two ways. They have increased the visibility, but they have really driven down the glare in the process. And so it's really helped oncoming drivers as well. Now, when we're all out there driving at night, we still see a lot of bright headlights. And, yeah. and that I think is where the controversy is that, that there's still too much glare. And we would agree with that. Um, but you have to remember, we didn't start rating headlights until 2016, and we haven't seen these improvements until more recent years. And yeah. so there's still a lot of vehicles out there on the road today um, you know, with the average vehicle being 12 years old, there's going to be a lot of vehicles out there with poor headlights that are going to create that glare. But they are making a difference because that's another area where we've been able to look at crash data. And if you're in a vehicle with good rated headlights, you're about 20% less likely to be involved in a single vehicle nighttime collision than if you're in a vehicle with poor rated headlights. So they do that's matter in terms of protecting you. Yeah, and that's also something, you know, you pretty hard for you to go put an airbag in your car, but not too hard to go change a headlight, right, to yep. a better one. Yeah, Something right. you can kind of take control of yourself if you're in an older car. You could have newer, better headlights for certain. Yep. Uh, and that's something that may be an important message for people. So let, let's talk, stay in the new vein here. We all feel like even though, you know, I'm still waiting for the flying cars that were promised to me <laughs> when I was 10 years old by the year 2000 um, that aren't around yet. But we certainly are on the cusp of some pretty interesting changes in the auto field, both in terms of electric vehicles, probably more more imminent than autonomous vehicles in terms of general usage. Um, so talk through the safety issues there. What's what, what are you working on? What are your thoughts around those two areas? Yeah, I think I think both are coming, and I would agree. We self-driving cars, uh, fully autonomous vehicles, are no, are not going to be here anytime soon, and yeah. uh, and so I think that's one to put that on the back burner. And I always say, come back and check with me in 2070, and I'll let you know right. how we're doing on that. That's a long ways off, but there's no doubt that we're going to see an increase in the amount of what we call partial driving, uh, a partial automation in driving systems, and. Uh, and, and that's something that we think has the potential. We've seen how some of these technologies can prevent crashes. So whether it's automatic emergency braking, blind spot assist systems, uh, some of the um, lane departure, uh, lane keeping systems. So they, you know, they do work and we've seen that, but we're getting more and more technology on vehicles um, that create a situation where the vehicle can now handle throttle and braking control at the same time it can handle steering. And so this is what we call partial automation. And one of our concerns is, are we gonna to get to a point where this allows the driver to become disengaged from the driving task too often? Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen in our research, when people are using these systems, they tend to drive faster, 
They tend to look away from the road longer and for longer periods of time, and they tend to engage in more distracting behaviors, such as using a, a cell phone. So we're going to roll out later this year something we're calling our safeguard ratings, where we're going to start to rate these kinds of vehicles to make sure that the system is designed in such a way that it will keep you engaged in the driving task. And so if you start to become, um, get out of the loop, so to speak, with regards mm -hmm. to driving that vehicle, it'll pull you back in through a series of warnings um, and to make sure that you're paying attention and, and being re a responsible driver. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> certainly interesting. You, you, you see, Sometimes you're driving around, so you see the the test vehicles on, on the autonomous front. They always make me nervous because mm -hmm. you know there's there's too many of us that are that are still driving the old-fashioned way, sharing the road. I think with some of those things. What 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 do you see on the electric vehicle from a safety perspective? That probably, in terms of the actual fleet uh, that's on the road, is probably more likely to be present sooner. Um, so what, what, what are we seeing in terms of their performance and what issues or unique issues do they represent? Yeah, so we, you know, we've had electric vehicles, obviously Tesla's been the big player for a long period of time. And so there's more of their vehicles out there on the road that we've, we've seen actual experiences with some unfortunate experiences with, yeah. uh, with driver behaviors in some cases. But when it comes to testing, we've tested quite a few electric vehicles now in our facility, both with regards to crashworthiness or occupant protection and collision avoidance, and they're performing well. Um, we do not see any real issues uh, with electric vehicles in terms of their performance in that regard. And, so, and you know, we've had for the last couple of years a number of electric vehicles that make our top safety pick list. So, so they perform well. And so anyone purchasing a vehicle worried about that aspect, you know, go to our website, look at the ratings. You'll find some very solid built and, uh, and well-performing vehicles in that regard. The other thing we've been able to do is, is to start to look at the uh, insurance claims data and determine what the real issues are there with respect to uh, these vehicles and damage and you know severity and frequency and those sorts of things and what we're seeing with with some of these vehicles that the uh, the severity of the claims may be going up but the frequency of the claims with electric vehicles compared to their combustion engine counterparts are actually down and so overall losses are actually down a little bit um, again, you know, that's based on a predominantly one automaker for the last several years. And so this is a space we're going to have to watch as we get more electric vehicles in the fleet and we get more types of electric vehicles. So pickup trucks are a good example. What's going to happen when we get a lot of these electric vehicle uh, pickup trucks out there in the fleet and how might this change the uh, insurance picture? And so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, certainly changes coming on in who you're going to be driving next to or, or or who's sitting next to you riding in an autonomous vehicle, an electric vehicle, or whatever the case might be. Um, but, you know, we hope, of course, that that all results in safer cars um, at the end of the day. That that's That's the goal here. That is the goal. And, you know, the other thing we're going to have to watch with electric vehicles, they are much heavier. 
Right. With yeah. That, with that battery in in uh, in those vehicles, they are a much heavier vehicle, uh, and they have an incredible amount of torque, and you know can generate a lot of speed. Uh, and so we're going to have to carefully watch uh, how people actually utilize these vehicles when they are driving them, and what happens in crashes with this heavier mass. And so we're concerned about: Are we going to create, start to create a new compatibility issue of the with these heavier mm-hmm. mass vehicles out there on the road? And so, again, something we have to kind of keep an eye on as as we get more and more of these vehicles on the road. That's interesting. Would that would that result in changes to things like the seat belts have to be at a different tension rate because the mass is heavier, or the airbags have to be at a different construction or something because of the the velocity that might be involved here? Yeah, there could be all kinds of changes in vehicle design that that may have to uh, to be considered. Um, there may also have to be even considerations in structural design. You know, years ago, there were compatibility issues in terms of vehicle size um, that we've done a pretty good job of addressing to make sure, you know, that bumper heights are, are similar yeah. with regards right. to some of the larger vehicles, smaller vehicles. So when there's a frontal collision, that's the same sort of thing that I think we're just going to have to watch and figure out, again, looking at that real world crash data, what's happening out there in the real world and are are there compatibility issues that we may need to start to address Mm -hmm. uh, to improve safety listen david thanks for all your work thanks for your time today and joining the podcast thanks for the work the insurance institute of highway safety does on behalf of not just the insurance industry but all the entire country uh namic is a big supporter where I'm on your board of directors and support the efforts of the organization. And a lot of our member companies do as well. You might spend a minute there for any listeners that maybe work in the industry that maybe their company is not part of the IIHS. You might spend a minute here talking about how that, how they could get involved. Yeah. And so if you're interested in, in, uh, you know, being part of this organization and supporting the work that we do, I would have you, you know, reach out to me directly uh, and be happy to, to talk with you or have uh, some of our team talk with you about all that we offer uh, in terms of the resources that are available to you um, from the the data that we collect from from the insurance industry to all the materials we produce to help improve road safety, some of which, you know, you could use to uh, directly uh, reach out to your customers and uh, your mm-hmm. consumers. And so it's an important part of what we do. And we can't do this. And I should, you know, make this very clear. We could not do this without the support of NAMIC and all of our uh, member companies. Um, it's it's that support that makes it possible for us to go about accomplishing our mission of improving road safety. And so we very much appreciate that. And uh, if you talk to anybody within our organization, you will quickly learn that we are passionate about what we do and we really care about making a difference in the real world. Yep, I I know that firsthand and we all see the great work you do. It's a real success story, so keep it up. Maybe maybe we'll meet sometime in 2070 and there'll be no no more car crashes, (laughs) we'll see. But, until then, we got a lot of work to do and uh, continue to make things better for, for people driving around the roadway. So thanks again, David, for all your work, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Neil. And that's it for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back again on July 12th with more insurance news and perspective. Until then, 
I'm Kathy Imus. I hope you have a great day.